The following message is by Brother Connor Harris, Associate Pastor at North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. If you would like to be following along this morning, you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. If you came this morning for a Mother's Day sermon, I've got good news for you. I'm preaching from the Bible, and it's relevant to all mothers out there. So this is for you and for all the rest of you who aren't mothers as well. So Ezekiel chapter 37, and we're going to start in verse 1. The question that I want you to have on your mind as we read through these verses and throughout this sermon, and really the question at the heart of this passage is this. Can what is dead be made living? Can what is dead be made living? Ezekiel, the prophet, lived in one of the lowest periods of Israel's uh, history of the nation. In the days of Ezekiel, the prophet, Uh, the nation of Israel was dead. It was dying when he started prophesying, and then it was dead as he finished prophesying during his career. Israel had rebelled for decades and decades and decades against the Lord, and now they had received all the consequences of the idol worship they participated in. Their land was dying. It was desolate. They were having trouble growing anything because they had abused it. Uh, The... The people were dying literally at the hands of one another and of the nations that were invading them. And at the heart of it all was their dead spirit as a nation. They had abandoned worship of the one true Lord and had turned to idols so, for so long. And the result of their idolatry was exactly what God told them it would be. It was destruction. It was death. Many Israelites were ripped away from their homes. Not all of them died, but some of them were taken captive. Ezekiel was one of these. Ezekiel was called to be a prophet when he was in exile in Babylon. He was part of the second of three groups that were taken away to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. God called Ezekiel to be a prophet, and he gave him many messages against those who were still in Jerusalem, telling them that uh, that they were going to be totally destroyed at a point. And then when the dust finally settled and the nation was in pieces, their city, Jerusalem, that they loved was broken apart, their temple was destroyed, and the people who were alive from Israel were scattered in the nations around them. All the people could sit and wonder was, is there any hope? Can what is dead be made living? Can a nation that is totally gone, that is totally, totally destroyed, can we ever return to what we had? Can we ever return to fellowship with the Lord and blessings in him? In the last few chapters of Ezekiel, God doesn't leave the people, the remnant of Israel that's left in Babylon without hope. He doesn't leave them without a message because even though the nation of Israel was unfaithful to the Lord, God was going to be faithful to all the promises that he had first made to Abraham and had made to them over time. God was going to be true to them. He was going to love them and care for them as he told them that he would. And in chapter 37, in the verses we're going to read, we're going to see one of the prophecies, one of the visions uh, that God gives Ezekiel about this hope 
for the nation of Israel. And my prayer this morning, even though we are not the nation of Israel here today, my prayer for us this morning is that as we read what God is able to do with them, we'll understand, we'll know that God is the same today. He has the same power over life that he had back then with his own nation. Read with me in chapter 37. We're going to read the first uh, 10 verses just to first see the vision itself before we read uh, the Lord's explanation. And in verse 1, we see, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Ezekiel is, to me, one of the most fascinating prophets in the Old Testament to read about. Ezekiel was used by the Lord in so many different ways to to give the message of God, to give God's word to the people that were exiled there in Babylon, to the Jews who were there dwelling on the fact that their, their country was destroyed and their, their, their city Jerusalem was gone and their temple was gone. Uh, God used Ezekiel in very many, uh, very strange ways to us. Uh, sometimes uh, Ezekiel would meet with the elders of the people who were there in exile with him. And at times God used Ezekiel at, like an actor he would tell Ezekiel, I want you to go and act out what I'm about to do or act out the message that I have for you. And Ezekiel would go and he'd perform an act and the people would see him and, and understand sort of what God's plan was. Uh, there were times where Ezekiel uh, would have to build models for the people there to see. He would physically build models in the dirt and with stones so that the people would see the message God wanted them to understand. And then there were many times where Ezekiel saw these visions and he saw some really incredible things that Thankfully, we often have explanations from the Lord about because they were these incredible things that are, even for us, sometimes hard to imagine when we read them on a page. He was given all these visions, all these messages to give to the children of Israel so that they would know what God's plan was, so they would know God's word, that he would, they would know what he thought about them and that they would know what he was going to do with them and the nations that had abused them. Here we see simply at the beginning of chapter 37 that the hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel says. It's just his way of saying, by God's power, he brought me to see something. Uh, he, he gave, uh, by, by his might, by his strength, and all the omnipotence of God, he showed me something. 
And he tells us that he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. He even says the middle of the valley. Uh, this is probably the same valley that earlier on in, Ezekiel's, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, you can read, Ezekiel went and met with the Lord and, and beheld his glory in a sense and, and talked with him and received a message. Now God brings him back into this valley to give him a new message, to give him something to, to share with the people. Uh, now, just so you picture this, because this chapter is it's going to require you to use some imagination and to, to really picture what's going on here. Uh, this valley that he was in, uh, you, know, we're, you know, here in Arkansas, you might think up in the Ozarks or somewhere, these jagged, narrow valleys between mountains, and this is this really narrow valley that God has taken Ezekiel and set him, but, but you need to be picturing more of a, a broader plain almost. This is a word that referred to sort of a broad plain between risen areas. It was that kind of a valley. Ezekiel was living over in that area we call Mesopotamia, over where Babylon was. God takes Ezekiel over into this broad valley and sets him down to show him something. He gives him, uh, he gives him this vision. He says, he led me around, uh, I'm sorry, he sent me down the middle of the valley, and when he got there, it was full of bones, uh, bones of humans, bones of people that were there. An entire valley, an entire wide valley filled with these bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. God takes Ezekiel, he sets him in this valley, and the picture here is a valley that is just full of bones here. Uh, it's almost like God kind of leads him around, he says. He takes him around. I want you to get a good look, Ezekiel. I want you to take a look at these bones and tell me if there is any kind of sign of life. Tell me if you notice anything about all these bones in this valley. I want you to really look, Ezekiel. He leads them around them. And Ezekiel describes them in two ways. He says, they were very many. There's a, a whole lot of bones. We're not just talking about a, a, a few bodies, but we're talking about a valley full of bones. And he says they're very dry. Um, why describe them as dry, we might wonder. Why, what, is, what, is a, what, is, what do dry bones indicate to us when you see them? Well, that means they've been there a long time, right? That means, that means they've been deceased for a while. Uh, this isn't a person who just recently died. This is someone who, again, to say it maybe a casual way, they're, they're, they're long past. They're long gone. In other words, he leads Ezekiel around these bones. I want you to look at these, and he sees how dry they are, and he sees how many of them there are, and there was no sign of life among these bones. There was no chance that these bones had just recently died or that they were about to come back to the life. By all accounts, for a, for a person who is not thinking about the power of God, the power of the Lord, they look like bones that there is absolutely no life or no hope for. And they weren't just dry, they were, he says, very dry. But God doesn't give Ezekiel this vision just to simply shock him or to, to frighten him. This isn't just sort of a, a scary experience for Ezekiel to see a valley full of bones. Instead, God shows it to him for a reason. I want you to look at these bones. I want you to see the condition they're in. And here's why. Because he wanted him to preach a message over them. God was about to do something with this, these bones that Ezekiel saw. And it was going to be a, a, an incredible picture of what God was about to do with his nation. He says in verse, two, uh, in verse 3, Son of man, can these bones live? This was his purpose. I have a question for you. I want you to see how dry they are. I want you to see how many they are. The, the complete destruction that is obvious here and how long they've been dead. 
And the question is, son of man, can these bones live? It might be weird for us um, to, to hear him call Ezekiel the son of man because we, we so often think about the son of man. That's Jesus. So we read in the Gospels, that's what Jesus called himself and what the people called him. Uh, it did become a messianic term, but it was no uncommon thing for Ezekiel to be referred to as the son of man all throughout the book he is. God calls him son of man, and he says, I want you to give me an answer, Ezekiel. You look how dry these bones, you look how many there are. Can they live? Literally, will they live, he says. Will these bones live? You know, even if God showed me one body of a person who had passed a day ago, I could not bring those bones back to life. I would have to tell God there's no chance. There's no chance of even one body that is not dry of coming back to life on its own. I couldn't tell you how it's going to happen, let alone an entire valley full of bones that are very dry, he says. I have no power to do that. And I love Ezekiel's answer here in verse 3 because I find it very relatable. And it's really kind of, um, it's, it's really kind of the perfect answer, right, when God asks you anything. Ezekiel says, I answered, O Lord God, you know. God says, Connor, is this possible? God, you know if it is. God, you know if it's possible. He calls them with two names here, Lord God. He uses both the term, sort of the my Lord, Adonai word, and he also calls them by the name, uh, the, the, the capital letter Lord, or capital letter God word, that, that Yahweh, the God of Israel. My Lord, God, I know that you know this. Uh, it sounds like kind of a silly answer, but I think this was a faithful response on Ezekiel's part. Ezekiel's looking at these bones, and he says, you know, by all my reasoning, by the reasoning of anyone who would see all these bones, it, I don't know. But, he says, Lord, you know. God, your knowledge is not short of this. You know if dry bones can come back to life. I think here Ezekiel recognizes that it's, it's only going to be by God's knowledge and God's power that bones that have been dry for so long can come back and be made living. And that's exactly what God is going to show him. Indeed, God did know. Uh, he did know if these bones could come back to life, and he was about to demonstrate that his own word could bring them back to life. He says, and he, he gives Ezekiel sort of some, some strange instructions here. In verse 4, he, he said to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones. Uh, the prophesy being just simply, I want you to relay the word of God to these bones. I want you to speak the revelation of God to these bones. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. God gives Ezekiel very specific instruction, a very specific message to prophesy over all these bones that he's seeing in this valley. I want you to go and preach over all these, these bones that are there. And the message has a few parts to it. He first tells him, behold, I want you to watch. Uh, look what I'm about to do, bones. Look what I'm about to do among you. God is going to use this word behold a few times in this prophecy, and I think it's supposed to call our attention to it. Be a witness. Watch what I'm about to do and see how marvelous it is, bones. He says, first, I'm going to cause breath to enter you, and you're going to live. 
And he kind of, he kind of recaps it in verse 6. This is how he's going to do it. He says, I will lay sinews upon you and cause your flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. I'm going to reassemble your body. I'm going to bring you back to life. I'm going to take you from being dry bones to being a, a fully formed human body again. And beyond that, what he says is this is the plan for you. Tell the bones this. I'm going to put breath in you and you shall live. Not only are you going to be a reformed body, but I'm going to put life into you. I'm going to breathe life into you and you will be made living. And ultimately, the goal of this is that God wants these bones to know that he is the Lord. I want you to know I am the Lord. That's maybe a little, some strange instructions you might think. It may be a strange thing for Ezekiel to do. I want you to go talk to these bones. I want you to go preach the word of God to some bones. But Ezekiel, being the faithful prophet he had been for so long already, goes and does exactly what the Lord tells him to do. And as soon as Ezekiel preaches this message to the bones, something extraordinary happens, right? In verse 7, Ezekiel tells us, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. Ezekiel begins to preach over all these, this valley full of dry bones, and suddenly they're not dry bones anymore. God is, there's, there's skin coming on them. All the things that connect bones are connecting the bones. They're piecing together. What was broken apart and scattered everywhere is being pulled together and being formed in this living body. And Ezekiel steps back, and now it's not a valley, uh, valley full of, of dry bones. It's a valley full of, of bodies, of human bodies. They, they look like a fully formed human people. But there was one thing missing. There was no breath in them. They were bodies. They had all the materials. But they weren't living. They didn't have breath. God actually distinguishes here, right? He, it, it's kind of a two-part thing he does. In verse 9, now that, now that you've prophesied over the, over the bones, Ezekiel, and the, and the bodies have been reformed, I want you to do something else. He says, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army, Ezekiel says. Does that picture seem familiar to you at all? This forming of the body, and then this breathing of life into the bodies. Hopefully it reminds you of creation, right? I want to read for you back in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, if I can turn there. In Genesis chapter 2, when Moses was recapping the history of man, uh, history in Genesis here, he says, uh, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Here God follows the same pattern in this vision he gives Ezekiel. 
he, he takes these bones, he takes the materials, <laughs> and he, he puts the bones back together and he covers them in skin and he, he makes them fully formed bodies, but there's no breath, there's no life in them until the word of God speaks breath into them and makes them living. Just as a side note here, what a wonderful <laughs> picture that you and I are not just a pile of bones. You and I are not just a pile of skin, but we're living because God has spoken life into us. God has given us breath. Without God's breath, we are not living. Whether you're, whether you're cells and atoms or, or whatever, you're, you're not living without him. He does the same thing in this vision where the bodies aren't living until Ezekiel goes and he prophesies to the breath and the breath comes in from the four winds. The breath comes in from all directions, rushes into this valley, goes into these bodies that have been fully formed again and all of a sudden, now they are living, he says. The breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet he says, an exceedingly great army. I love that, uh, you know, just almost a little bit of a foreshadowing to what the Lord is going to tell him about this vision. Ezekiel calls them these bodies. They're not just bodies anymore. He says the slain. The, the wind rushed into these slain and made them alive. We're not just talking about uh, a, a, a valley full of bones of people who, who died over a long period of time, who lived a long, healthy life. We're not talking about all the people throughout history with these bones. We're talking about bones that have been slain. They've been literally killed. These are the bodies of people who have been killed at the hands of other people. And the breath comes in these bodies, and they live, and they stand on their feet, and it's a total reversal of the situation they were in. At one point, they were bones of people who had been slain by someone else, and now they're standing as an exceedingly great army, uh, the ESV says. Uh, and that word for an army, it's, it's literally the word for strength or force. We would say this is an exceedingly great force that stood among this valley where there was once very many, very dry bones. Life had been made here. Bones that were dead, totally dead, without any hope, were taken and made living and given power and given strength. And it wasn't because of anything the bones did. It was because the Lord spoke them together and spoke breath into them and gave them life and gave them strength. Well, that's an entertaining vision, right? It's an entertaining thing to picture. And we might sit back now and go, man, I wonder what that meant. I wonder what God was trying to show Ezekiel. That's a, that's a, that's a fun picture to think about. A bunch of bones coming back together and now they're living. Thankfully for you and I, in the next verses, God tells us exactly what it means. God tells us exactly what he was trying to show Ezekiel with this vision. We don't have to speculate, speculate or guess. Read with me in verses 11 through 14. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord." God tells Ezekiel, these bones that you're seeing that have been dry for so long, they've been dead for so long, 
And with the word of God, by his authority and with his speaking, they're brought back to life and they're this exceedingly great army. That's the whole house of Israel. That is God's people, the, 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 the house of Israel, this nation that at that time was sitting broken, scattered apart. They were, they were uh, figuratively, figuratively very dry bones, very many bones that were scattered around the area. They weren't pulled together. They weren't together with one another, but they, they were sitting in places like Babylon and, and down in Egypt, and they were scattered as, as these exiles thinking on their own destruction and, and the ways that their sin and the sins of the nation had led them to such destruction. And they were wondering, do we have any hope? God says, these bones are the whole house of Israel. This is the nation, in other words. And he says, he gives a little picture of, of what their attitude was. God knew what the people of Israel were thinking. He knew what these exiles were thinking as they were in exile. And he's actually very emphatic here, almost to say, I'm not saying this, but they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off or indeed cut off. In other words, we're done. We're long gone. We have no hope. Uh, the Lord is done with us. We're cut off from the, the blessings that we had in the land uh, that was promised to Abraham. We're, we're cut off from our land and the produce there and, and, and the, the inheritance that we have there. It's over for us. God says that's what Israel, that's what they're saying right now. That's their thoughts about this. Our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and we are clean cut off. But I want you to tell them this, he says in verse 12. Essentially, what he preaches to the bones, I want you to preach to the children of Israel that are in exile, that are, are scattered and broken. They're dead. He says, tell them this. Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. What God does here is in verses 12 and 13, he says what he's going to do with Israel. And then in verse 14, he says it again in slightly different words. It's the same message twice put in, in, in slightly different words when you read through this. And one note uh, to, 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 to understand here is that when he says here, behold, I will open your graves and, and raise you from your graves, O my people. Now, the Lord wasn't talking and he wasn't saying that in the coming years, God was going to literally take the bones of those who had been killed by the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Egyptians. He wasn't literally going to take their bones and raise them out of their graves. But remember, he's talking about the whole house of Israel. We're talking about the nation. And as a nation, he says, I'm going to take you figuratively out of your graves that you think you're in, out of the, the, the desolation that you're in, I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to take you back to your land and you're going to know that I am the Lord. This is what God was going to do with them as a nation. They couldn't see it. They didn't understand it. They looked at their destruction and said there's no hope. Um, you can read in the book of Lamentations uh, the way that people were mourning over the destruction of Jerusalem and, and their nation as a whole. I'll read for you from Lamentations 2, verse 13. It says, What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Children of Israel, they were, they were dead spiritually, and their nation was dead. It was broken apart. And he said, is, is there anyone who can heal us? Who can heal you? But while they were despairing over this, 
And while they were mourning over this, God was, was planning a revival of this nation back to the land. I told you he, he states his plan twice here. In verses 12 through 13, and there's sort of three parts. The, the raising of them back to life, the sending them to their land, and then them knowing that the Lord is the Lord. Uh, them knowing him, them understanding him, recognizing him. He says in, the first, in verses 12 through 13, he uses a picture of the raising from the graves. And he says, you're going to know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. But in verse 14, he states it a little differently. He says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and, I shall, and place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I'm the Lord. So instead of the second time saying, I'm going to take you out of your graves and make you alive, he simply says, I'm going to take my spirit. I'm going to put my spirit within you. You shall be alive when that happens. Then I'll send you over and you'll know that I'm the Lord. I will put my spirit within you. What's so fascinating um, in these verses that we've read is that the word for spirit in Hebrew is the same word that we've been reading over and over again for breath. Uh, it's the exact same word. It's the same word actually for the wind when he says breath come in from the four winds. And there's an intentional word play there. Just as these bones were, were pieced together but were not living until the breath came into them and gave them life at the call of God, at his word, so too the nation of Israel. He says, I'll, I'll, I'm going to bring you back to life with my spirit, my breath, the same way that God made the first man and formed him out of the clay and then breathed life into him. God says, I'm going to do that with my nation, with you. You're broken apart and you think there's no hope, but I'm going to take you, piece you together, and breathe into you life. We read a lot about uh, the indwelling of the Spirit in the New Testament and, and just about the working of God's Spirit and all of the roles that it fulfills in the life of a believer. Here I think that it, it's more simple what the Lord is telling them. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's telling them that I'm going to make all of you saved. I, I think instead that this is immediately what he's saying is that I, my Spirit is going to work life into this nation. That's the scope, right? That's the context. It says, I want you to preach to this, the whole house of Israel and tell them that I'm going to make the house of Israel live. I'm going to breathe into you life. You think you're, well, you are. You're dead and scattered, but you will live. The spirit that he's putting within them is that it, it parallels the spirit coming, or the breath coming into the bodies and making them live. And ultimately, again, for a third time, three times in this chapter, God states the purpose of this. It's not because of what they've done. It's not because that they've done some great actions that are going to bring themselves back to life. You can go back in, in chapter 36 later and read for yourself. God makes it very clear that he is not about to bring them back to life because of anything they've done. He's not about to bring them back to life because they've done good things. He tells them to think on what they've done. I want you to think about all the sinful ways that you've rebelled against me and served idols. I'm doing this, he says in chapter 36, for, for my name's sake, so that you guys know that I'm the Lord and the nations around you know that I am the Lord. I want you to know me. It seems like it was not that long ago in one of our lessons or one of the sermons that Matt was talking about the word for, for knowing or knowledge, knowing God. And, and here, the way God's using it here is not, not just intellectually. It's not just a matter of them going, okay, I know, I know who the God of Israel is. 
God wanted this relationship with the nation that he had been starved of for so long. They had rebelled against him and they had, ser- they had served idols and abandoned him. They had, they had been adulterous, spiritually adulterous to him. God wants them to know him. He wants them to have that blessed relationship with him as a nation that they were supposed to have by serving him. You'll know that I am the Lord when I bring you back into this land and I work this great thing in you. I bring you back to life. It says, I have spoken and I will do it. Israel was unfaithful. They wouldn't follow after the Lord as, an, as a nation altogether. But God tells them, I'm faithful. When I say I will do something, I will do it. And this is my word. I'm going to take you and I'm going to bring you back to where you came from. In chapter 36, he says, I'm, I'm going to act for the sake of my holy name, that you'll know that I am the Lord. You will be my people, and I will be your God, he tells them. That's what the Lord wanted out of them, to have that relationship, to have that blessing with him. They were dead, but God had the power to resurrect it with a word. Now, we might read this and we go, well, I'm not the nation of Israel, Connor. This, this, isn't, this isn't for me. And I, and I agree that the, the primary audience for this prophecy was, is, is not you. It was for the nation of Israel. It's for their house. God, God was telling them clearly, I'm going to take them. I'm going to take my nation and bring them back and give them life, restore them. But today God wants the same thing from us, from every one of us. Whether you're part of the, the physical descendants of Abraham or not, God wants you to know him. God wants you to have that life. That, that you have that relationship with the Lord and you receive the blessings of a creature with the creator that he intended you to have. He wants you to abound in his blessings that he can give you. But you're dead. You're very dry bones. We're not the nation of Israel, but when God took his nation, a valley of very dry bones, and made it live again, and he did do that, he brought them back. You can read about that later in the, in, in the Old Testament. You can read about how God bring them in, in incredible ways, uses ungodly nations to bring his own people back together and gives them life again. Just as God did that for his nation, and when he did that, he demonstrated the same power and the same authority that he has today to make your soul live, to make you live. God was the author of life back then. He still is today. He can take very dry bones and make them totally living again. Whether those bones are his nation or those very dry bones are your soul. Without the grace of God, you and I are totally spiritually dead. We have rebellious hearts. We are individually, we are like the nation of Israel. We rebel. We have hearts that are, are rebellious against him. Paul told the Ephesians uh, that we are dead in our trespasses. You're dying. You're slain. You're on the ground at the works because of the works of your own hands, just like Israel was. Our souls are very, very dry bones, and we could think, but we could sit back and think: Is there any hope of life for a person who has rebelled against their Creator and is dead in their trespasses? Is there any hope of life for those very many, very dry bones? Can they live? Well, let me share with you the good news. Let me share with you the gospel. That the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
God can take what is dead and he can make it living. Can these bones live? Oh Lord, you know. And he does. He does know. He's, he knows and he's able to do it himself with a word. He can breathe life into what is totally dead and make it living again. Your soul without Christ is totally dead in its trespasses, but God has told us, and his word is firm, he will do what he says he will do. He has told us that if we repent and believe in his son, he will give us new life. He will, he will, he will create us again like he did that valley of dry bones. He will make us into new creatures The Son of God, Jesus Christ, he bore your sin and death on the cross, but he was raised from the dead on the third day. And now you and I can have eternal life with him by repenting of our sins and putting our trust in him as our Savior. We don't have to sit back and go, well, there's no hope. There's no hope for me. No, you can trust in the Lord and be saved. God has said that he will save every person who puts their faith in his Son from the wrath to come. He will give you his Spirit, He will make you his child, and he will give you abundant life where there was none. God has spoken, and he will do it. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've already trusted in Christ as your Savior. And you go, I don't know what this means for me. Paul said that he was spending his whole life pursuing to know the power of the resurrection. To know to know all the power there is in God, being able to, that, that God raises us from the dead in Christ and just what all that meant and that the power that's there for him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. You have eternal life, but sin has put you in a place where you feel very hopeless and you wonder, can God take me and turn me around to serve him? Can God take a dead servant, what feels like a dead servant? Can God take a situation that feels very hopeless to me and turn me into an honorable vessel for service? God's still the author of life. God, the resurrection still has power. God can take you, and if you'll confess your sins, if you'll read his word and believe it and turn to him, he can take you from being very dry bones as as a servant, (laughs) And turn you into a living, breathing, pleasing servant to him. Last week in Matt's sermon, and I think next week, probably when we're looking at Thessalonians, the, the consequences, devastating consequences of, of sexual immorality and these, these sins that seem to us so hopeless after you've committed them. How, how can you ever return from that? You ask King David. <laughs> David, who, who asked God, give me a clean heart. Give me a, give me a new spirit. David was a believer, but I, I, need, I need renewal. I need revival to serve you. God gave David that. God can give that to you too. God can take your dry bones and make them living. Turn to the Lord. Believe and obey his word and it will change you. Situations that feel totally hopeless are nothing compared to the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He can turn things around. Can dead bones live again? The answer is yes. Yes, they can. But not by my power, not by my knowledge, but by the power and knowledge of the Lord. And that's what he offers you in Jesus Christ. If you would please stand as we prepare for an invitation. Let's have a word of prayer. 
Lord, I'm so thankful for Christ. Lord, that you sent him to die for us, that we who are dead in our trespasses can have life and life abundant for eternity. Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us all to leave here today with a greater confidence in what you can do if we'll turn to you and trust in you and obey you. Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning who has never trusted in Christ as their Savior and they, they, they feel spiritually dead, they know from your word that they are spiritually dead, Lord, I pray that you would convict them, that they would turn to you and have life everlasting. And Lord, for those who are here who have trusted in you already, I pray that you would help us always to be learning more about the power of your resurrection, Lord, that you can take what is dead and bring it to life. Lord, help us to have confidence in you daily. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.